Good to see you. Welcome, welcome back, those that have been away. And uh, good to see everyone. What a great song that was. Amen. Psalm 121. He's with us. We don't need to fear anything. We don't know what's ahead. But we know he's gone ahead. He's behind us. He's before us. And he's with us all through this year. Praise God. And um, I think that's especially true and, and, and applicable as we see the world changing, becoming more and more uncertain to know that everything is in his hands. Amen. And we're going to sing that song again at the end as a, a, just a song of confession as we come into a new year. Okay, we're continuing then in our series in John's Gospel. This morning we're coming into John chapter 15. And uh, I've entitled this Abiding in Christ. So let's start verses 1 and 2. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Now, just to remind you, this was spoken the night before the cross, less than 24 hours before Jesus would be arrested and tried and then put on the cross. So uh, the reason I'm saying that is because chapters 13, 14, 15 and 16 are special chapters, unique in the Bible, because it's Jesus getting his disciples together, giving them last instructions. He finished speaking to the, the world, the crowd, at the end of chapter 12. Now he's with his disciples. This is a very important time. He's really pouring into them his instructions. Now why I'm saying that is because a lot of people who just jump into this chapter without understanding the context say that what he's saying here is that we can lose our salvation. Um, if we do not bear fruit, we will be taken away as a branch in the vine. We will lose our salvation. In fact, later on, he says that the vine dresser gathers the branches that are not fruitful, that are not abiding in Christ, and burns them. And so people say, you know, if, you, if you're not fruitful, you're going to hell. Well, that's another gospel, isn't it? That's a different gospel. All through John's gospel, we've been seeing, and, and as I said, I think it was last week, 98 times in John's gospel, we're told if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. Don't change the gospel. That's the gospel, okay? So this is not a reference to the possibility of losing our salvation. It's all about fruitfulness, okay? Let's look at a few verses to see how many times Jesus spoke about bearing fruit. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. And then in verse 16, which we won't get to this week, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. 
that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. So this is all about bearing fruit. You can see how much Jesus wants you and I to bear fruit. Amen? God is really keen for you and I to be fruitful branches in the vine. I want to bear fruit. The reason I want to bear fruit is not for my salvation. My salvation is trusting in Jesus. Amen? I want to bear fruit because that's my destiny. That's my identity. I am a branch in the vine. And a branch bears fruit. So it's living up to our identity when we are fruitful branches in the vine. Amen. In fact, we're predestined, the Bible says, to be conformed to the image of Christ, to, to bear the fruit that represents the very life of Jesus. So Jesus is all about bearing fruit. And what he shares here is that the Christian life is, is not, as I've said many, many times, you trying to be a Christian, you trying to bear fruit. That's not what it's about. We've all been down that path and become exhausted in the process. The Christian life is about Jesus living in us and him producing the fruit through us. No grape can be better than the vine that produced it. So when a branch is grafted into a vine, it receives what? The life of the vine. We have Christ's own life living in us. As we heard, Christ is living in us by the Holy Spirit. And um, sometimes, you know, people say, what is the fruit that Jesus is talking about? What is the fruit that we produce? Some people think that it's the very nature of Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. And I believe it includes that very much. When you abide in Jesus, then his life flows through you and the fruit of the Spirit is seen by others. But it also includes being fruitful in our ministry and what God has called us to do. He anoints us, in a, each one, in a special way so that we can be fruitful in our service and in our ministry. And so when a branch is grafted into a vine, it receives the life of the vine, and that's the fruit that comes forth. Now notice that Jesus said, I am the true vine. Look at that word for a moment. I am the true vine. It's a lethinos, a lethinos. And it means true as opposed to counterfeit or something that is simulated or replicated. Or let's look at it in another way, in contrast to a type. Look at that word as it's used in Hebrews chapter 8. Okay, the writer is talking about the tabernacle. But he says that Jesus is a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. In other words, that tabernacle that was in the wilderness and was carried into the promised land, replaced by the temple, that was not the true tabernacle. That was only a shadow of the true tabernacle, or the true temple, which is the temple that we live in. We live in the presence of God. We commune with God. We're in the Holy of Holies. Amen? And so that's the true, that's the real. Now, um, I, I think we can go as far as to say this. If you drive through uh, an area where there's vineyards, you go up to Mount Tambourine, for example, and go, go and visit some of the vineyards, you could almost say, you know, that's not a true vine. That was created to reflect the true vine, who is Jesus. Amen? 
So you still enjoy the grapes and the wine. It's a, it's a double blessing. But, but the thing is, Jesus is the true vine. Now, take that another step further. Others will or may wittingly or unwittingly pose as vines to us so that we attach themselves to them and them to us for our well-being. We look to them to receive from them what we should be getting from Jesus. For example, a church, this church. Now, let me just say this. I'm a great believer in the church. I mean, there's a lot of people that are dropped out of church or anti-church, and, and I, I receive emails from people saying, what can I do? The church has gone so far off track. Do I still keep going to church? I understand that dilemma. And, and some people are not preaching Jesus today, and, and, and so people are not getting fed. They come hungry, they go home hungry. So, but I still believe that Jesus instituted the church, the local church, and it's a forever thing. He, has, he hasn't changed his plan. Amen? And so we come to church and we get blessed. We get encouraged. We get edified. We, I, I do anyway. I, go, I always go home edified. Somebody blesses me in some way, just our conversation, our fellowship, and so on. But the, true, the, the, the church must never become the vine, and sometimes that happens. Churches become, get people to become codependent on them, to look to them in a way that they should only really be looking to Jesus. Same with another Christian. I'm a great believer in discipleship. God will possibly bring people into your life that you can disciple. You're further down the track than they are. You're older in the Lord than they are. You can take them under your wing for a season and bless them, disciple them, and help them. But never let them become codependent on you and look to you in a way that they should be looking to Jesus. In fact, that, that's the whole process of discipleship is helping people to become Christ-dependent to help them to learn to live from the true vine. Same with the teacher. You know, we can teach, and, and, and people can put teachers and preachers on a pedestal, and, and then they get disillusioned. God uses those, but don't get caught up in false loyalties. Our loyalty is to Christ. In fact, I go this far. Expect every church and leader to have something wrong with them. Amen? Amen. You were warned. <laughs> so listen, somebody, the, the people that concern me the most, I, I, I appreciate praise and um, uh, encouragement and, and affirmation. I think that's good to honor people and to encourage them and to, to you know, to, um, if you've been blessed, to tell that person that God used them to bless you. That's all good. But what I get concerned about is when people put me on a pedestal. I know how that's going to end. The ones that lift me up so high, they're going to be, become my enemies. They're going to end up turning on me. It's happened because they expect perfection from me. And, you know, 50 years in ministry, I've failed a lot of people. Disappointed. In fact, somebody, I think I shared this with you. Somebody once said to me, I'm really disillusioned by you. I said, that's good. I said, why is it good? I said, well, you obviously had an illusion. You had an illusion, you don't have that now. You're disillusioned. That's good. We're making progress. Amen? He's the true vine. The true vine. Amen. Now, before Jesus, because we're the branches, but before Jesus even mentioned the branches, he mentions the gardener. Or I think the NIV says, um, 
uh, yeah, the gardener. He, the, the NIV says the gardener. The, the, the New King James uses the, ver the, the, the term vine dresser. And the good old King James uses the term the husbandman. Something like that. Anyway, it all means the same thing. The gardener. I am the, I am the vine. My father is the gardener. Now the gardener tends to the vine. He waters the vine and protects it and he cultivates it so that it will give its maximum yield, be a fruitful vine. See, the gardener has a vision for the vine. And he's going to take care of the vine and the branches. Imagine the, the vine dresser walking through the vine, just looking and inspecting the branches and having a real sense of pride in, 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 in a positive way. At the, the, the luscious fruit that is growing in his vineyard. Now the vine is the glory of the gardener and the branches are the glory of the vine. Right? A vine needs branches to bear fruit, otherwise it's just a stump. It needs branches to bear fruit, but branches exist in the vine for the purpose of bearing the fruit of the vine, not producing the fruit. We cannot produce fruit, we bear fruit. The vine produces the fruit and the branches bear the fruit. It's the sap that comes from the vine that flows through the branches that, that results in the fruitfulness of the vine. Now, where there is no fruit, his desire is for fruit. He's focused on fruit. Where there is fruit, his desire is for more fruit. In fact, I'm sure many of you have seen this in this passage. You know, it goes from fruit to more fruit to much fruit. Amen? He's really focused on fruit. Now we're going to look at this verse here because this is often taken the wrong way. Jesus said, every branch that does not bear fruit, in the New King James, it says he takes away. But actually that, that word can mean he lifts up. The Greek word is aero, which is frequently translated as to lift up. For example, when in Luke chapter 17, verse 13, Jesus passed by the ten lepers. They lifted up their voices. Same word. Same word. Aero. Okay. When Jesus uh, was at the grave of um, Lazarus, going to raise him from the dead, the Bible says he lifted up his eyes to heaven and spoke to the Father. Aero. In Revelation chapter 10, verse 5, the angel lifted up his hand. So you see that word is translated many times as to lift up. Unfortunately, it can also mean takes away. Now, a vine is the only tree, I think, that needs to be lifted up. It needs a trellis or some kind of support. Otherwise, it's going to lie in the dirt. So the, 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 the gardener is walking down the vineyard and he sees a branch that has fallen on the ground. It's in the dust and he lifts it up out of the dirt. He lifts it up uh, to give it support, to, to expose it to the sunlight and the rain. That's the, the, the gentle care of the garden. He doesn't take it away. You know, one strike and you're out. What are you doing down there? No, he lifts it up so that it can become fruitful. Praise God. Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it that it may bear more fruit. Now, now pruning is, is painful. <laughs> it's painful. It's the word here, 
Catheron, or Cathaero, Cathaero. We get the word uh, catharis, and, 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 you know, which means to purge, to cleanse. That, that word can be used both physically to take away impurities from the body, but also psychologists use that word a lot to, to you know, dump wrong or negative emotions and, and thoughts and so on to purge ourselves of, of what's not good in us. That's the meaning. So, so what Jesus is saying here is this. Okay, here's a fruitful branch, but it can even yield more fruit. So it cuts away what is hindering it from producing more fruit, right? Now, that's what we call chastening. Chastening is not punishment. In fact, the Bible says that if we're sons, we will be chastened. If you're not chastened, you're not sons. You're illegitimate. You were never really wanted or planned. <laughs> okay, but if you're a son, the father has an interest, and if he sees something, you're going off course or something like that, there will be a chastening to bring you back. Okay, that's, that's a fact of life. And the Bible says if, you, if we endure chastening, God deals with us as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? For they indeed uh, for a few days chasten us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit. In other words, they do it to get some peace and quiet and, you know, um, for their own benefit, but he does it for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. In other words, that we might bear much fruit. I like what um, Charles Spurgeon says about this. I think he's got it perfect. He says, really, God's way of cleansing us is through the word, right? It's the word of God that cleanses the washing of the water of the word. And, and, and as we read the word daily and as we, as we just meditate upon it, God is washing us and cleansing us. But sometimes, you know, we're not responding, right? So he, he will use chastening as an extreme measure. And so Charles Spurgeon said this, is that the word of God is the knife that God uses to, to cut away what's hindering us. The word of God is washing us. But chastening is the handle of, the, of you know, the, the word is the blade but chastening can be the handle that God sometimes uses. And, and, and I think we've all experienced that because we're sons of God. Amen. So we must con connect this word kathaira just to understand it clearly and, and not get into condemnation, as some do, with the next verse. Verse 3. Jesus says, you are already clean. That's the word katharos. Close, from the same root, you understand? But it's, it's different. You are already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. So let's, let's use theological words here, biblical words. One of them is talking about our justification. This is what Jesus is talking about in verse 3. You are already clean. You cannot be more clean than you are now. Amen? Because you're complete, you're righteous, you're perfect in him. He's perfected you forever. You are joined to Christ as he is, so are you. you. Is he holy? You are holy. You are already clean. There's no condemnation. 
That's your position. Amen. Now we know that in our walk, there is the grow, growing in grace. And, and our lives change. In other words, our, our walk corresponds more and more with our position, with what is true about us, that we are already clean, that we are justified, that we are righteous. And so that's the process of sanctification. And it is a lifelong process. Now, sanctification does not determine my union with Christ. If I do wrong behavior, God rejects the behavior. But he doesn't reject me. He will never reject me and never reject you. Because you are in Christ. So my relationship is determined by justification, not sanctification. Now, that's where a lot of people get into this thing of one minute you've got your salvation the next minute you've lost it and then you get it back again and then you've lost it and and that's that's crazy like there's no peace in that god doesn't want us to live like that amen so fruitfulness is a gradual process yet his purpose is for fruitfulness conformity to his image and he will use chastening at times to bring change the vine is one tree that needs constant pruning. Otherwise, the long shoots will just keep growing. And they, go, they, they become woody. If, you, if you've ever looked at a, a vine, you, you'll see what I mean. The, those shoots, they can become very long and woody. They take the sap that was meant for the fruit. They, they suck all the sap into itself and they become more and more woody. And dead wood can harbour disease and decay. Now, here's the thing. Those shoots last year produced fruit. Right? The shoots that have become woody last year produced fruit. But they just keep growing and becoming woody. So it, it's a picture of one of the dangers in the Christian life is... Because something worked for us last year, we become dependent on the process rather than still looking to Jesus for fresh fruit. You know, I tell you, as a preacher, that's a big danger. Oh yeah, this sermon, that, that was a blessing last year. I just preached that again. That, God will bless that. And you fall flat on your face. Because it's not methods, methodology, or, 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 or things that we've used in the past that have been good for us. But it's our being joined to the vine, living from his life. Amen? And so sometimes that things are cut away so that the sap can flow into bearing fresh fruit in the branches. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. That word abide is found 15 times. 15 times in these first 10 verses. Abide, 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 abide. And the word fruit, fruit, fruit. Can you see the connection? <laughs> it's not rocket science, is it? We abide in Jesus. We are fruitful branches. Some people say, you know, we need to follow Jesus. Jesus said, follow me, but he said that when he was on earth. When he was on earth, you could follow him. And the disciples followed him. But now he's gone to heaven. He did, now he says, abide in me. You can't follow Jesus. He's not here for you to physically follow. 
But the life of the Christian now is to abide, to abide in him. To be in Christ and to abide in him are two different things. Okay, the first is union. Every Christian is in Christ. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. We are in Christ. That's our position. But the second is communion, fellowship, relationship with him. That's what he's calling us into. And we'll talk about what it means to abide in just a moment. But as we do abide in him, we participate in divine life. That's what he wants us to experience. His life flowing in us and through us. We abide in him, he produces the fruit. The secret of the Christian life is that he does it all. Everything we do will be burned up. Amen? That passage that, um, I think it's in Matthew chapter 7, where Jesus said, many will say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do you know, this and that in your name? And he will say, I never knew you. I don't think that's referring to the unbeliever. I think he's talking about what we're sharing here. Believers that were in Christ, but they never abided in him. They were not abiding in him. They were doing everything out of their own uh, initiation and their own strength and, and not under his direction. When a branch is grafted into a vine, there is a twofold process. Okay, just imagine a, a branch has been cut off. There's still life in that branch, okay? And it's grafted into the vine. The small roots and fibres of the branch grow into the stem of the vine and the stem grows into the branch. Now, I'm going to quote from Michael Wells, who's, uh, who had a ministry called Abiding Life. He shared about this thing all the time. He's with the Lord now, a wonderful minister of God. But he said this, that branch that is severed and is going to be grafted into a vine, it tries to pull itself into the vine with a force of one. But the, the vine pulls that branch into itself with a force of a thousand times greater. Isn't that beautiful? That's a beautiful picture. When, when he's talking about, see, we've got to be careful here, and I'll come on to this in a moment, that this abiding thing doesn't become another work, a works trip, you know? It's just resting in Jesus. And, and, and it's like, a parent crossing the road with a, with a child. Parent says, now hold my hand. Now ask, answer me this. Is the child holding the parent's hand or is the parent holding the child's hand? I can tell you that parent's got his holding it much firmer than the child. The child's basically just given it his hand and the parent has grabbed it, right? That's how it is. Jesus draws us into himself. Just, just consent to, be, to abiding in Christ, resting in him, looking to him and let his life flow through you. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. I think it was um, Andrew Murray. Anybody heard of Andrew Murray? He wrote a book about abiding and, and he said, you know, it's amazing how busy we can be doing nothing. <laughs> There's a lot of activity, but it's not coming from abiding in Christ. That's what he was saying. Without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. Now, this is not talking about losing your salvation and going to hell. It's 
talking about if anyone does not abide in me as a branch, it's talking about your life as a fruitful, as being fruitful, then, well, let's, let's, let's read on. A branch cannot bear fruit by itself. Even in the Old Testament, God said, your fruit is found in me. And Paul said, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. So he's saying, abide in me, let me work through you. Now the branch abides or rests. Don't be occupied with abide. Don't, don't turn it into a work. Just rest in Jesus. Keep your focus on Jesus. Trust in him. Depend upon him. And he will work in you and through you. Now, this comes to this thing about the, uh, the branches being gathered and burned. The, the wood of the vine is actually useless for anything other than bearing fruit. It cannot be made into furniture because it's too soft. You don't, nobody uses the, the, the wood of the vine to make any furniture. It's too soft. A branch that doesn't bear fruit is good only for fuel, for burning, and it was not even used on the fire of the altar. Only bonfires. Okay? So what is, what is Jesus saying? He's saying what Paul expanded on in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He's talking about, in that chapter, teachers that are not teaching the Word of God, but are teaching human philosophy, which, which happens a lot, by the way, in pulpits. Okay? Motivational talks and so on, thinking this is what the people need. Everyone's work will become clear, for the day will declare it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what it sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, work is burned, not him, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved. Yet so is through fire. Amen? Amen? So a person's work may be burned, but he will be saved. Why? Because his, his faith is in Jesus. Salvation comes through trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen. If you abide... In, okay, so we're coming now to the question of what it is to abide as we, as we finish up this morning. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit so you will be my disciples. So I've underlined two things there which I think summarise what Jesus is saying here in this passage and, and he said it in the passage we looked at last week as well. What is it to abide? First of all, Jesus connected abiding to the idea of faithfulness to his words. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. What did we see last week? Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And we looked at the, where Jesus said about keeping his commandments. Remember that? I wonder who, who can remember what those commandments were. Two things. That's right. Believe in him and love one another. They're his commandments. 
believe in him, live a life of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, trusting in him, and love one another. Okay, so here the words, okay, because he's talking about living in close fellowship with him. The word words, some of you know this, there are two different words on there in the Greek for word. One is logos, but the other is rhema, here ramata, ramata. They're the specific instructions rather than the logos, the whole word of God. So because we're in fellowship with him, each one of us has a special role to play in the body of Christ, in the vineyard, in the vine, amen? It's not for me to tell you what to do. You have your relationship with God. You know what you are to do. He will lead you by the Spirit. He will speak to you specifically through the Word. He will give you your mission in life and, 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 and you know, your, your gifting and so on. And, and so we carry out the instructions that He gives to us. Amen. So don't let anyone tell you what you should be doing. You know what you should be doing because you have a re your own relationship with God. Be led by the Spirit. That's what Jesus is saying here. Just abide in him and let his words abide in you. Amen. But then also he connected it with prayer. He says, um, you will ask what you desire. Prayer is a very important thing in our relationship with Jesus. You will ask what you desire. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. So communion is maintained by a conscious acceptance and obedience to his word as it relates to us and a constant dependence upon him in prayer. That's what it means to abide in Christ. Is we're not just out there doing our own thing, trying to impress Jesus. Look what I've done, look at me. No, we're, we're just receiving what he is asking us to do and just being obedient in that and, and trusting him, loving one another and so on. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions we have asked of him. When we're in fellowship, we know that the prayers we pray are in accordance with what he wants in our lives. And so we ask confidently because we're asking in accordance with his will. Says, James says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss, that you may spend it on your pleasure. You know, some people think that prayer is bringing a big list, shopping list to God. And oh, well, I've got five items ticked off this morning anyway. I've got some of the things I asked for. It's not like a hit and miss thing, potluck. That's not prayer. That's not prayer. Prayer is coming out of relationship, knowing our Father's will and His purpose in our life and praying in accordance with that. So this promise is in relation to their mission. He was sending them into the world. It was just before He would go to the cross. It was not a blank check to ask for anything they wanted for themselves. This is how Jesus dwelt in his Father's love. He says, yet you have known, not known him, but I know him. He's talking to the Jews now. And if I say, I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Jesus did always those things that the Father showed him. That's why he bore so much fruit. So just as Jesus 
glorified the Father by his life, so we will honour him by our fruit. It is the honour of the vine dresser to have good, strong, vigorous vines, plentifully laden with fruit. So it is the honour of God to have strong, vigorous children bearing the fruit of love and obedience. Amen? By this my Father is glorified that you bear. And that's a good bunch of grapes. Amen? Have a good look at that before we close. Father looks at that and he says, that's good. <laughs> okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us so much that you grafted us into the vine that we might share the very life of Jesus and that his life would flow through us and through us that the world would see Jesus radiating from us and that we would be fruitful, Lord, in terms of impacting other people's lives for eternity. So, Father, we commit ourselves afresh into your loving hands and say, Lord, let your will be done in each and every one of us that you may be glorified in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen.